hallelujah this morning to you all. Would you do me a favor before you take a seat? Could you pick up your Bible or if you have a uh, electronic device, uh, turn it on and, and then let's all stand up again and we're going to read um, all nine verses of Psalm 113. And you might be figuring out why I would entitle this sermon, Alleluia, uh, but we'll find out that in a few minutes here. So let's read from Psalm 113, and uh, let's read together. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you, Lord. This day, a beautiful day outside here in Central Valley, California. Lord, uh, we are grateful for, this, for the changing season. We are grateful to be alive. We are grateful to be here amongst fellow redeemed believers to praise your name. Now, Lord, as we've considered your word, uh, bless us, open our minds, open our hearts, that we may learn and be instructed from your word. Father, be with those who are traveling and are not here this morning. Uh, if any of them be sick, heal them and uh, give them favor and comfort. All of this we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We can be seated. Well, friends, this is a joyous time of the year. And uh, I need to reiterate the gratefulness that's in the air here. Last night, the food was delicious. The fellowship was even better. And what a joyous time just to be on the background and just interacting with many of you um, and just listening to what God is doing in our midst. And, and for that, we, we praise the Lord. And in fact, this is why we, we wanted to pause on the book of Colossians and say, let's take this, this for the next three Sundays. And uh, Brother David blessed us last week with uh, a, a message, a teaching from Psalm 103. Thank you, David, for that. That was great. And, and I hope to, to, to continue that standard and, and, and keep that message going. But today we're, we're, we're going to focus on another psalm, which is Psalm 113 that we just read. And this is what, what, what uh, many scholars or many of the Jewish tradition would call a halal. Um, if you've never heard of that phrase, it's, it's, that's what it means. It's just a halal. And uh, we get the word hallelujah from that word, halal. So it's a hallelujah. But in English, we call that praise the Lord. That's basically what that means. And so why do we want to praise the Lord? There's a lot of reasons to praise the Lord. But uh, of, the, of the psalms that we're reading and, and the, the two psalms that precede 113. So you read Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. Those are not considered halals. But there's a theme there. It's praise the Lord. So praise is one of the words that you're going to read throughout um, Psalm 111, 112. 
especially 113. So some people call this some linguistic arc because it culminates in 113. But 113 is the beginning of six Hillels all the way to 118. And these Hillels are known as the Egyptian Hillels. And, and there's a reason for that, too. Uh, all of this is all interconnected throughout the, the, the whole narrative of Scripture. And when you read this literary artwork in the book of Psalms, uh, Caesar, you know, you and I could talk about this, and, and, but, but you as a musician, you would know that when you're composing some music and you're, you're, you're developing a music sheet, it has all these codes and all these symbols that gives musicians instructions. And so very similar to the Psalms, when you're reading the book of Psalms, there's so many forms of literary styles. This is a style of praise. And, 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 and this, this tells us why we should pray and, and, and a call to praise. And specifically here, it's all grounded on what happened to the people, to the Hebrew people in Egypt. And so when we read this Psalm, uh, in fact, if you do a little analysis of Jewish history during the Passover, so, so to understand the Passover, you'd have to jump all the way back to the book of Exodus chapter 12, namely, to be specific. The day that, 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 that God delivered his people and they passed from being slaves to freedom. That, that is what we call the Passover. The passing over from slavery to freedom. And, and that wasn't just slavery as a slave, but that has, as a Christian, that has significant um, uh, um, meaning to us because we were slaves to sin. We were dead. Uh, and, and God delivered us, as we read uh, two weeks ago uh, in, in Colossians chapter 1, as namely verses uh, 12 through 14. It, it tells us that the Father Praises the Father, but how he delivered, he delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So here the Psalter is going gonna, is gonna to walk us through this series of praise. But then there's some, some dynamic truths and elements and, and affirmations in this, uh, in, this, in this artwork, in this masterpiece of praise that I hope would, would encourage us, would build us up in our faith, and really um, encourage us as we're entering into this Thanksgiving week, as we're surrounded with loved ones, as many of you are going to be traveling, and we're going to be traveling too, and, and, and in 10 years, for us, it's, it's, a, it's a significant one, because for the last 10 years, we haven't seen our family, we haven't been able to participate on special occasions with our family, now we're five hours away, and we're going to be with family, and so that's going to be a joyous time for us. We're looking forward to it. And all the more reason to be grateful. And I would pray that this gratefulness would be part of your life too. And so again, uh, uh, again, just a quick uh, synopsis of this. Go back to the book of Exodus. Read Exodus chapter 12. Because then that will give you a, a significant understanding of what Passover. The same text is very important for when we take communion. What a great reminder of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Okay, 
So let's, let's jump in to um, these three things that we want to extract from the text, and then we're going to analyze the text a little bit more, and then we're just going to run through it, and hopefully there's application for our life that we could take with us from, from this day forward and build upon it. And so when we come to church and we're praising the Lord and we're singing, sing a hallelujah, we have more reason not to be told to raise our hands, but from our hearts, our hands will go up to our gracious Father. That's why we raise our hands. We don't raise our hands because Caesar tells us, okay, folks, raise your hands. Or, or, or we don't have the, the little strut or dance that we have because, you know, somebody's telling us. We do that because something joyful is coming from our heart that when we start singing to the Lord, my feet start moving, <laughs> my hands start going up. All in gratitude for what he's done. So let's jump in here. So the first thing I want to speak to about this text is this. Our song of hallelujah is an invitation to a lifestyle of praise. Now, 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 now let, let's unpack that a little bit here in the text. Notice how it starts. Praise the Lord! Exclamation mark. It's not praise the Lord. It's praise the Lord. It's, it's a joyful affirmation of praise to our God. The halal. But then notice what it says. Praise. And it's not saying everybody. Not like next week's text. We're going to read it. It has this universal um, um, call to not just the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, but to all the nations of the world. But, but notice this text says, praise Oh, servants of the Lord. Very specific. And, and how interesting that this, that this Psalter says servants. That's like, dude, didn't you just deliver them from slavery? Why call them servants? One scholar said it this way. Praise the Lord, you who were servants of Pharaoh who were slaves of Pharaoh, who were slaves of bondage and oppression. But now you are servants of the Almighty. Who? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. How do we relate that in today's world? Perhaps today I was a slave of lying and pornography and addictions and sin and all the lustful desires of my flesh. But now in Christ, that second, that, that book of, uh, second chapter of Ephesians, verse 13, before you were this, you were in darkness, you were so far away. And verse 13 says the beautiful but word. <laughs> it says, but now, huh? the beautiful sound of melody, the glorious sound of the gospel, you were lost, but now you are found. You were so far away, but now you are close. This is the same language that the Psalter is, is, is scripting for us in his beautiful melody of praise. And so when we read this, it says, like, praise the Lord, praise all servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Notice this, blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Very similar to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none, none of his benefits. 
He's the one who heals your sicknesses, who forgives your sins. Same tone, different psalm, different focus. So here he's saying, not just praise the Lord, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And notice how he says this. From this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Once again, this takes us back to the book of Exodus. If you read Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, the Lord speaking to his people who he just had delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God speaking to Moses so that Moses could speak it to the people on behalf of the Lord Almighty. And so we see how these people now servants of the, of the Almighty, servants of him who showed his, his might and power, the, the 12 plagues that, 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 that was before Egypt. When Pharaoh's heart was hardened and said, I will not let these people go. If you haven't seen the, the, the movie of Moses, you should see it. It's funny. See the, whole, the old uh, Charleston Heston version, right? And you see what God did, right? And, and, and Hollywood has a way of, uh, uh, of uh, special effects and all that. Then you go to Universal Studio and you see that it really was just a little man-made thing there. Of God here and his manifestation of his glory is what this Psalter begins and bases his praise on. For us in the book of Colossians that we've been reading, it's in all in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that comes to culmination in the life of the believer. A couple of things here more before we jump into the second thing. Observe how the Psalter describes the exact Time to praise the Lord. Note, note, notice that in, in verse 2. Notice the, the specific time frame that the, that the Psalter gives for, for, for the people to praise. From this time forth and forevermore. What is he suggesting there? I mean, that almost sounds like something that should be continual. That, 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 that actually, is he suggesting, is the Psalter somehow singing this in a, in a melody and suggesting that at every moment, at every time, no matter what my circumstances are, no matter how I'm feeling, is he suggesting for me to praise the Lord? Who? I think so. I, I would humbly and respectfully suggest that he is saying, hey, from this moment on, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what your circumstances, praise the Lord. Ooh, but pastor, I don't feel like praising the Lord right now. Pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Pastor, you don't, you're not a woman. Oh, thank God, I'm a man. <laughs> No, no disrespect, please. No disrespect. 
You don't understand. You are absolutely right. I don't understand. I'm just a human. But let me tell you, God does understand. And he, through this beautiful melody of praise, is reminding us from this moment forward and forevermore, let the praise begin. What a beautiful reminder, right? So that's the first thing. He, he's, he's reminding us of the exact time to praise the Lord. And then notice the text again. He is also identifying for us the place where. So if you thought, if you thought that we only come to church to praise the Lord, I will humbly and respectfully disagree. Because notice what the Psalter says. He says, from the rising of the sun to its, sayings, to its setting, praise the Lord. That's why you're mowing the lawn. Be mowing it and mow it with a praise. That means while you're at work, serving patients or, or, or cooking or whatever it is you're doing, praise the Lord right there. Don't stop working because then you'll get fired. <laughs> <clears throat> but while you're working, while you're walking, while you're jogging, while you, whatever it is you're doing, he's giving you a specific place of where to praise the Lord. And he's saying, from the rising of the sun to its setting, praise the Lord. And let me tell you, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes the preoccupations of this life tries to distract us. But it's a beautiful thing to go back to a beautiful masterpiece like this in the Psalms and be reminded of the continual and the, and the it's almost like, like when you read Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who meditates on your word day and night. Is he serious? I, I, I think I told, I, I don't know if I said this here, but I did say this not too long ago in, the, in a church in one of my sermons. I don't know if it was here or there or in Minnesota. But I, I had a friend who would literally put her Bible like this on her head and sit back on the sofa. And it was like, I was just a kid. And I was like, lady, what are you doing? And I would tease her. I mean, I was a kid. I was being disrespectful. I was a kid. I was mocking her. And, and she would say, Shh, I'm meditating on the word. Now that was her way of doing it. My grandma had another way of doing it. My grandma would sing a lot of the songs. If you've never listened to integrity music, they have a phenomenal listing on melodies of praise, peace, meditation. Uh, it's phenomenal. And they have a whole section on scripture songs. You can, you can learn a lot of the a lot of scripture songs through melodies that they've uh, thank God for those professional musicians but there's ways to sing the scripture and that's a beautiful way to memorize it too when you sing it okay second thing I want to say not only is um, this an invitation to a lifestyle of praise but notice how our song of hallelujah affirms God's glorious highness. Look with me to verses 4 and 5. And, and this is very important because let's, let's read this together. It says, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. And here's the climax of this whole song. 
Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? One, one author really wanted us to, to see the distinction, right, um, of, of God's holiness and perfected or perfection or his moral purity as being separated from, let's say, the earth, if you will, or people, or sin, or darkness, right? So he paints this picture of God's highness, his um, one, one author, another scholar called it God's sovereign supremacy, right? So, so that's important for us to, get, um, to grasp that image, right? But then on the flip side, if we can add a, a negative connotation to it, if you do a comparison of religions, you will see that um, there's these religions that paint their deities so far removed from their creation, right? So, so let, let's take a look at this first glorious highness of God, right? And, and so it's important for us to see that because I want you to capture this picture of his sovereign, his sovereign uh, um, power, his, his glorious uh, might. And, and notice how the Psalter says, he's not only above the nations, but, but notice this, this, this escalation of dimensions, right? He's above all the nations and his glory is above the heavens. Okay, so, so you see this, 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 this progression there, right? And then he says at the end of, of verse 5, who is seated on high. Okay, so, so you can't miss that on this, uh, in the text of the Psalms. God is so high. He's so glorious. He's so majestic. He's so powerful. He's up there, right? So you have this Lord of Lords, powerful. <clears throat> Look what Psalms 19.1 says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Are, are you grasping? Are you grasping the, this beautiful imagery here that the Psalter is painting of God's glorious highness? Okay? It, it's important to, 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 to grasp that, like I said. So again, you see this, this, this progression, right? He's above all nations. He is, his glory is above the heavens in verse 4. And then in verse 5, he reigns. He's seated on high. Okay, which takes us to the third thing. Takes us to this third thing. Okay, so we have this image and this invitation of living a, a, a lifestyle of praise to the God who is above. And again, verse 5 draws it. Who is like our God? No one can compare to our Lord. So you have God on this high, uh, beyond uh, Zeus, the Greek gods, right? Mount Olympus, this mountain there. God is far superior than that and much more greater, higher than all of that. It's kind of like the Native American prayer. If you've ever done any analysis on Native American prayers, the Indian praying to the sun and ascribe praise and honor to the sun. And then he says, however, if there's one greater than you, to him I ascribe all worship and honor and glory. Right? So, so, so God is above. But then, let, 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 let's, 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 ex, let's examine, right, how this whole 
melody. Because every melody, if Caesar was here, he, he, would, he, would, he would give me a thumbs up, right? Every, every, there he is, right there. Every, every masterpiece has a climax. And, and the musicians call this uh, uh, the chorus. Okay, here's the chorus of this melody. And I don't want you to miss it because it's so beautiful. Because unlike religions of the world... That, that have their deities and their gods, like paganism. They have their gods so removed. You're going to see something so glorious in this psalm. That yet you have a God who is perfect and all-powerful. Notice what this says. In the incarnation of the Son, our song of hallelujah becomes our chorus. And, and this, let's observe verses 6 and 9. Look what it tells us. It says, who looks Far down. Okay, so God is so high. It's painting this picture of God so majestic. He's sitting up in the heavens. And look what he does. He looks far down on the heavens and the earth. And then look what verse 7 begins to unpack. Notice the series of verbs that are used here. In, in verse 7 it starts, he raises. Who does he raise up? He raises the poor from the dust. And what does he do? He lifts, okay, the needy from the ash heap. And then look what, what verse 8 says. To make, right, he makes them sit with princes, with princes of his people. So he places them from, from being nobodies, and he sits them in seats of nobility. And, and so then you read in verse 9, he gives the barren woman, a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And then he concludes, praise the Lord. Now let's pause here for a few minutes because this is so important and this is very gospel message. Now I know some evangelicals, they wrestle with this because then they say, oh, are we moving into a social gospel? That's a good question to ask. I would suggest that the gospel without some form of manifestation of human needs is not true gospel. There has to be something. Even Jesus did. Jesus fed the needs of the people. In fact, I remember this one occasion where Jesus was, was, was preaching in the desert and then all the people were hungry and then he, he told his disciples, he told the disciples, okay, send them all home. And the disciples came back to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, uh, just one question. There's no in and out burgers here in the desert. And then Jesus, what did Jesus say? So eloquent, Jesus. That's why I say I think Jesus was Latino because he used to love eating food. <laughs> Jesus said, you feed them. And they said, but we how are we going to feed 5,000 people? We, don't, we, don't, we only have five, five pieces of bread and, and five fishes. How are we going to feed this many people? And Jesus worked a miracle. Jesus saw a, a, a widow burying her son, and the Bible says that he had compassion on her. Jesus often ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. That, that was the scum of the world. You didn't eat with those types of people. Yet Jesus found himself engaging them. So, so again, we read this, but notice the pages of this. And when I was reading this, 
again, th- th- this is all Bible. So you could go to the Bible, and this is phenomenal stuff. But, but I began to compare songs of him, and I said, what's another psalm of him that really speaks this message of this part of the text? You might, you might be familiarized with this prayer, the song of Hannah. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And, and I'm not going to read. Well, maybe I should. And Anna prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derives, uh, derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Listen very closely to what verse 2 says. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then verse 3 goes on and says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out. For bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. There's one for your theology. The Lord kills and brings to life. Um, Look what she continues to pray. He brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses, princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, But the wicked shall be cut off from darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. That's a beautiful statement there. Not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What a powerful prayer from a woman who is barren. A woman who knew pain and shame. And and I would suggest a woman who was marginalized. Because in that time, in that ancient world, to be childless was a shame on the husband, on that home. So, So you read this, right? And then I thought, well, what other psalm speaks to Psalm 113 in pragmatic dimensions. And what better song than the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. And I'm going to be teaching on this on, on, on Christmas morning, but this is Mary's song of the magnif- uh, Magnificat. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I was thinking in Spanish again. (laughs) And and listen to this song here in Luke chapter 1. Again, here you have Mary who, 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 who is now being chosen, a virgin. And this was a, this, the, the end result of ending, um, becoming pregnant while you're not married was to be stoned to death. 
But yet here is Mary singing this song of praise to God. And listen to what it says in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. <coughs> Excuse me. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, oh, notice this. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Somebody needs to listen to this word this morning. I don't know who you are, but somebody needs to hear this very loud and clear. God has done great things for you. You need to hear that. And I would, I would hope and pray you would grab that word and take it to your heart. God has done great things for you. And then, and then look what it continues to say. And his name, and his name, and his name, and his name, and his name is holy. And his name is holy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in, in, um, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those who come of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. God was doing something phenomenal. And he's still doing something great today. So Paul, the famous writer of two-thirds of the New Testament would say it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the great Christological hymn. The great Christological hymn. His highest exaltation of who Christ was and what he did and how he came into humanity. He said, have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who through he was in the form of God, did not count it equally with God, a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you can read on the rest in your time at, at home. And if that wasn't enough, here's one more last text for us so that we can study and really grasp what this psalm is really um, climaxing here. And then I'll nail it down with this last text that, that Paul would write. But, but first of all, he wrote to the church in Corinth. And this is what he told to the believers in Corinth. Because this is very important for us of how God transcends, as I will say in a minute here, how God transcends time and space. Yet he is so holy and perfect. And un unlike these religions where they say, hey, you will never match up to God, to the deity. Here we have a picture of how God looks down and he comes down and he, and he becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But take a look at what Paul would tell the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. He would say, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Can you imagine? <clears throat> imagine. He took 12 fishermen. Well, okay, 11, because one of them was a tax collector. <laughs> you ought to get technical. <clears throat> he took fishermen. And he revolutionized the world. To the point where when you read Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, people were mocking what was going on there. How is it possible? I think that the text would say, how is it possible that these unschooled men, unschooled men, that's another way of just degrading somebody and saying, dude, you're nothing. You don't have a PhD. You don't have a doctor. You, you don't have, you're not graduate. You, you didn't go to a Fresno State University. <laughs> and yet God, look, look, look what Paul would say. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then he says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. Like I said, friends, God doesn't need our education. That's no excuse for not getting educated. Don't wait till you have a PhD to serve God. Serve God with what you have. You don't need to have all your debts paid before you serve God. You serve them while you're working. That's, that's how God works. And in your struggles and in your life, you see his power and his grace manifested all over your life. So you will never have the perfect marriage to minister to other marriages. You minister to other marriages in God's grace, knowing that you yourself need of his grace. Otherwise, I'm no perfect pastor. I have my own struggles. I have to rely on God's grace. That's why I say this over and over. If you thought that I was the right guy, I'm not the right guy. I'm only here because of God's goodness and his grace. And it is his grace in my life that empowers me and qualifies me to do what he's calling me to do. But if you get to know me, you're going to see things that you don't like. And that's how it is. And so, and so, this takes us to, to again, what, 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 what was going on here in this song, in this psalter. And you know what? It teaches us the value of being humble. As Jesus said in Luke 18, 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but, he, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the world upside down. This isn't worldview. This is gospel view. And so let me, let, me, let, me, let me land the plane with this. So when we read in Psalm 113, and, and again, um, I'm almost afraid of using this word, but, but uh, uh, <clears throat> this, this one scholar put it this way. When you read verses uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, 
you, ha- you get this, this, this beautiful picture of um, condensense uh, that, that God's looking down. But again, it's not that he's looking down as we understand it, like, oh, he's looking down on me. He has me so low. That's not, that's not how it is. What, it, what it's teaching you here in the book of Psalms is that God sees the suffering, sees the hurt. And it's like Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is proximate to those who are in trouble. It, what it teaches us is God is so holy and powerful and he could be here, but he's also here in the point of your need. That's why, again, Psalm 46, that, that shows these seismic shifts, right? It says, you know, uh, uh, God is proximate to those who call out to him, who trust in him. And then it says, uh, verse 2 says, though the mountains shake and they fall to the waters, though the waters rage, we will not be afraid. We will trust in the Lord. And that's what this, teach, this, is, this psalm is teaching here. So, when you read this, friends, what text of the Bible does it take you to? Where does it culminate? Where, where does that chorus, that symphony of praise end? Well, I thought long and hard about this. And I didn't find a better text than the one found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, that really pinpoint for us what Psalm um, 113 verses uh, 6 through 9 is speaking about. And, and, and listen, listen how the author of Hebrews described this image of God, of Jesus Christ as our high priest, not one who is distant, not one who is, yes, he's holy because he was sinless, he was perfect, but yet how he relates to our suffering and our needs and, and our desires as human. And look what he says. Since we have a high great priest, priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, confession of faith. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I hope, you're, you're, I hope this is sinking into your hearts and minds. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is phenomenal and beautiful. My friend, your illnesses, your infirmities, your shortcomings, God understands. Don't ever believe the lie of the enemy that no one understands your pain. And, and, and again, this is what the, 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 the author of the, let us then, notice this beautiful line here, let us then with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Are you rejected? Are you alone? Are you suffering from anxiety? Are you suffering from pain? Jesus. Jesus. 
100% man, 100% God understands your need. Because he was tempted in every way that human beings can be tempted, yet he was sinless. He showed us and modeled for us. In Spanish, we would say, si se puede. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can do it, my friend. Or as Rob Schneider would say, you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, this Thanksgiving season is a beautiful time, but it's also a difficult time for some and many. The fact that we can't celebrate a dinner with a loved one who's no longer here. Father, perhaps we've experienced a lot of loss, loss of a job, loss of health, loss of finances, whatever the loss is. Perhaps the thoughts, the fear, the solitude, whatever it is, Lord, I would pray that Jesus would transcend all of these through the power of his spirit and touch our lives, even those who are listening online. I, I would pray, Holy Father, that somewhere there at the point of need, at the point of, of, of depression and anxiety, Father, you would spark a reason of praise and that reason is your son jesus christ because unlike all paganism or or forms of deity you don't stay separated in the person and work of jesus christ you have drawn near to the point when jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father and so lord the God of the Bible is not some abstract deity. He's a personal God. He's not a God removed from the pain of humankind. He engaged it and came to dwell amongst the pitched his tent in humanity so that he would show us a better way. And through the gospel, we have been given the power to overcome sin and darkness and condemnation and I would pray Lord that that would be our prayer that we would confess it in our heart believe it in our hearts Lord that you raised Jesus from the dead the scripture declares we shall be saved and we do that in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen